Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Welcome into the NFL on Fox podcast presented by Verizon. I'm Dave Hellman. Busy, busy show for y'all. It is officially week seven. It's the Thursday show, Thursday night football, the Jacksonville Jaguars heading to my hometown to take on the New Orleans Saints tonight. We will get into that busy couple days of news. Got some injury updates worth talking about. Got some acquisitions for some very interesting teams. Lots to talk about, but as we usually do, I want to start the show off with another edition of the Cheat Sheet with Peter Schrager, presented by Honda. My good buddy Peter Schrager joining us now. And Peter, it is a it's a bi-week heavy edition of the Cheat Sheet, which is why I think we're leading with this topic. There's six teams on their bye weeks, and I just I'm not sure you would have been able to chat with Bengals defensive coordinator Lou Anarumo if he wasn't on his bye week. It's it's funny how these sorts of opportunities line up. I want to get into this because I love Lou Anarumo's story. You know, it's it's easy to fall for the former player turned coach or the NFL legacy. So many younger hot shots in the NFL coaching these days. But but Lou got it out of the mud, man. And on your podcast this week, you spoke to him about his 30-year stint in the industry leading up to this opportunity with the Cincinnati Cincinnati Bengals defense. You're so on, you're so right on about the bye week. So I booked my own podcast guests, and you know I asked Lou Anarumo to come on weeks one, two, three, four, five, six. Every no, I got a game plan. It's Tuesday morning. We've got the Ravens or the Steelers. Bye week, I circle and I'm like, all right, let's get these guys during their bye week. So I, Lou is a fascinating person. If you don't know who he is, he's the defensive coordinator of the Bengals, but he's not some 30 year old hotshot. Lou's in his late fifties and Lou has been in coaching for 30 years, but as he detailed in the interview with me and Dave, you listened to it. He started off at Wagner college in Staten Island, then went to the U S merchant Marine Academy, then was at Harvard and then was at Purdue. And then from Purdue uh, eventually gets an opportunity with the Miami dolphins as a defensive backs coach when he was in his late forties. And what he's done with the Bengals defense is spectacular. Everyone knows about Burrow and Chase, but the Bengals defense has been leading the way in all of their wins this season. And they just put the clamps on not only DK Metcalf, but Tyler Lockett and that amazing running game in Seattle against the Seahawks this past weekend. And they're three and three and they're where they're supposed to be. And he is such a cult of personality there in Cincinnati. He is beloved. And though the offensive guys get a lot of the headlines, I think people around the league, they know that like, hey, at halftime, no one's better at adjustments than Lou Anarumo. And he's had answers for Patrick Mahomes. He's had answers for Josh Allen. And with a week to prepare, there's probably no better coach in all of football as far as X's and O's and the defensive schematics. Which, who who is the Bengals opponent coming out of the bye week, actually? Now they got, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think it's, it, I believe it's the 49ers. So, <laughs> okay. I Hey, I was about to say like, oh, I feel sorry for whoever's got to face Lou with a week to prepare. But, yeah. uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure the 49ers will have something for him as well. One thing I... Uh, I I love that that a guy like Luana Rumo gets the publicity to do to do a show like yours because again like going back to what I said at the top like it's easy it's easy to fall in love with a certain archetype of coaching candidate uh you know I think everybody's looking for their Sean McVay everybody yeah. fell in love with the idea of like a Sean Payton you want the play caller 
that's going to mesh with your quarterback and give you an edge. And, and I mean, that's still valuable. Don't get me wrong, but man, I, I'm, I'm glad to see Lou Anarumo getting a little bit of publicity as, as a guy who maybe it's not flashy, but the results in Cincinnati speak for itself. And, and he talked a little bit on your show about just uh, what he's learned that makes him a, a valuable head coaching candidate. If it comes to that. Yeah. And you now their defense as all good teams, young players hit free agency, they lost guys like Von Bell and they've lost guys, uh, you know, talented players that are in the defensive backfield. Jesse Bates was like a really talented guy and the Falcons paid him a boatload and the, the Bengals didn't match it. And so they've had to replace really good veterans. Eli Apple was a good player for them. Like, and they had to replace them with young rookies and second year guys. And I asked him straight up, I'm like, is that the challenge? He goes, that's what you get out of bed for. That's what you love. Like that's, that's what coaching is. And to your point, first off, he's a defensive coach, right? Which is not in vogue and is not a hot thing. Everyone wants the young offensive coach. Second thing he's in his late fifties. So he's not uh, the 30 year old type of guy. He's not that fourth thing. He's not an ex player. So you don't get the D'Amico Ryan's Mike Vrabel feel of like, okay, this guy actually did it in the trenches. And you know, with the, with with the, the emphasis on young, innovative things, you don't think of a guy who's been in football for forty years, and yet you talk to these players and you hear things in the local Cincinnati market, like Zach Taylor's the head coach, but Lou, he's got his boys ready to go, and he talked about his love for these guys. And I thought one of the key things was he mentioned. Um, I asked him about it last year, if you recall, after the AFC Championship game. The late hit by Joseph Asai, it leads to the field goal. Chiefs win by three. It's heartbreaking. And then in the locker room, the local NBC affiliate from Cincinnati picks up Jermaine Pratt, star linebacker, just just cussing out or showing frustration to the young kid Asai. And I said, that could tear a lot of teams apart. I feel like it's kind of been a non-story. And he's like, well, what you didn't realize in between the the start of this season and, and that moment was the veteran guys took Asai underneath their wing. Pratt cried the next day and explained that it, that wasn't meant to be, you know, that was just frustration. They were emotional. And like, that's brought the team together, a lesser coach or a lesser locker room that might've torn a team apart. And I think there's stuff in there. So he used that learning moment when he interviewed with the Arizona Cardinals last year. And he said, that was a, kind of like a teaching moment about culture. Like this isn't just an overnight thing. That was, that was because we've been through so much together as a team that we were able to go through that situation. So there is an advantage to a guy with experience who's seen it all. But gosh, he's fiery too. It's not like he's just some old stick in the mud. Like he can bring it too. My favorite thing about the Bengals is there's only, I think there's only two first round picks on that defense. And one of them is Miles Murphy, who's just now getting Hasn't his feet even, wet. Yeah. The other one's Dax Hill, who there were a ton of questions about safety with Jesse Bates and Von Bell leaving. And like, I mean, the 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 fall off's not there. Like the closest thing to a superstar is Trey Hendrickson, who is an amazing player but even when he signed in Cincinnati at a free agency like people saw it as like an overpay like oh you you don't you you pay good players great money in free agency and Lou Anarumo's just got that pass rush doing its thing like and that's it is not a star-studded group at all but just a super sound super fun group to watch like that I've I've said it if I've I've already said it on this show but the way like it felt like Seattle had the ball in the red zone for the entire second half I know they could not get in and, and gosh, was DK Metcalf frustrated with Cam Taylor Britt. Like that was just fun to watch like a veteran be frustrated with a young guy. And you mentioned their defensive line. Again, this seems like we're doing Bengals.com. It's, it's an important team went to the AFC championship game last year. They went to the Super Bowl last year. Like it is the national story. And this is a defense that we don't talk about. We talk about the 49ers, the Cowboys talk about the Eagles defensive line and how scary Jalen Carter is their defensive line. They've got guys like Murphy who are going to come along and he'll eventually be the guy, but like, he referred to him as the core four and it was like the Yankees of the nineties. And that Yankees team was Jeter. It was Pettit. It was uh, Jeter. I'm going through Cause we're talking about Jeter, Pettit, Jorge Posada and Mariano Rivera. That's the core four for the Yankees dynasty. The guys nice little they lineup for you. Yeah. Nice little lineup. And he compared BJ Hill, DJ reader, Trey Hendrickson and Sam Hubbard to them. And you're like, all right, those guys are not the Yankees of the early two thousands. However, those guys have been there since the come up and since the team was a, an afterthought and a joke. Trey Hendrickson was the first big signing. Hubbard was one of the first big draft picks. And gosh, there's perhaps no better front four. And Lewis takes a lot of pride in what they've done and what they've built. 
All right. It is, it's a lot of airtime for a team that is on a buy, but I do not care. I think the Bengals are Thank absolutely you. an interesting story. Um, but le- I mean, let's, let's give some shine to uh, what I think is one of the hottest teams in the league that has a big game coming up. I actually, Ooh. so I, I have to do a power rankings for Fox sports every week. You, and I have, so funny. I used to be the power rankings guy, probably like yeah. 10 years ago on foxsports.com, And that has fallen a, to it, me. It is a crown that you wear, but gosh, is there a burden because there is nothing more critical from the listeners and the viewers. And yet you're like, guys, I'm just trying my hardest. I don't, there's no right or wrong. And yet you're crushed if you put the Cowboys below the Eagles or the Eagles below the 49ers. And it's like, I'm curious without me asking, and I know you're going to a lion's question. I could assume based on your buildup, what is your top five this week, Dave? So that's what I was going to get to. My top five is Detroit five, Philadelphia four. Kansas City three, San Francisco two, and I put Miami at one. Miami was the only contender that had a good week. Everybody else either played an ugly game or outright lost. Uh, So the reason I was building to it is I was proud of myself for bumping Detroit into the top five. They had a dominant game against Tampa. They, I mean, not high enough. They, they, I'm, I, Lions fans are angry at me. It wasn't that is an insult. They will, they will come for you. They're having their moment and you're trying to dampen it. They I'm are like, the number one team. Just ask them. I, you know, I'm sitting here thinking like, man, Detroit fans have to be so happy that their team is in the top five of the NFL. And nope, the, the switch flips pretty quickly to you're not giving us enough respect. So this is all right. This is my attempt to make it right with Lions fans. This is arguably the hottest team in the NFL. They haven't lost in a month. Their only losses in overtime. They've been dominating people. They haven't played a game that was won by fewer than two possessions in a month. So here we go. Lions Ravens. Is this a statement game and a chance for them to announce themselves? Or if we're paying attention, have they already done that? It is the statement game. And I'll tell you part of the reason is I looked at their schedule. They don't play another team with a winning record that has a winning record up to week 17 when they play the Cowboys. So they're going to beat up on a lot of passes in the next few weeks. And if they lose this one, it's still the, yeah, but like, yeah, but when you had to play the Ravens, you couldn't get it done. Or when you had to play the Seahawks, who's a legitimate team, you couldn't get it done. Like, I don't know if anyone is looking at that week one game against the Chiefs, even though it was in Arrowhead and saying, well, that was the best. That you-. I think everyone's takeaway and Mike Tirico got killed for it, calling it an asterisk. But everyone's takeaway was, yeah, no, don't take anything away from the Lions. It's an incredible win on the road to start a season when they're lifting their banner. But they didn't have Kelsey and Jones. So you take that with the, whatever you want. They lose to the Seahawks at home. And now they're dominating teams. And what they did to Tampa was legit, like legit. They came in there with seven starters injured and they showed up and they did not flinch into Baltimore Ravens, hard place to win weather outdoors win this game. There is a very easy path to not only winning the NFC North, but potentially a one or two seed because the other teams are going to beat up on each other. Like, but if you lose this game, even if you get that one or two seed, uh, come playoffs, I don't think anyone's going to say, ooh, the mighty Lions. They actually, they actually lost when they won a big matchup against the Ravens back in week seven. I I hear what you're saying, and I think it's it's fair to a degree, but I do think there's a difference because there's a, there's a fun corollary here. The, I mean, obviously, the same division. The Vikings won the North last year, and every game was by the skin of their teeth. And it and and it was a year long debate of like, is this team actually good? And of course, they got beat in the playoffs by a not that great Giants team. But what the difference that we're seeing right now is, at least so far, when the Lions are the better team, they are smacking people down. Like Atlanta's been feisty. They hold them without a touchdown. Tampa Bay, you and I did a whole segment about how great of a story Tampa Bay is. That game, it the sc- like the score might have been 20 to 6, but it felt way more lopsided than that if you watched it. Like it felt like the Tampa offense didn't have a prayer. And obviously Green Bay puts some late second half points up that makes that look more respectable than the ass kicking that it was. They've just been beating the hell out of people, and I get it. It's it's still not the same as playing heavyweights, but if, you, if you're going to be stuck playing bad teams, the least you can do is just beat the snot out of everybody. No, and like I mentioned, they've been undermanned too. So everyone could say, well, you look at what you got over there, and San Francisco's got, you know, last week they lost because they didn't have McCaffrey or Debo or Trent Williams got banged up, or, hey, the Eagles, no Jalen Carter, no De- – 
David Montgomery didn't play last week. You know, that Brian Branch did not play last week. Jameer Gibbs was was down, you know, two weeks ago. Like they've had their injuries. Sam Laporta was a questionable, you know, they it, they've had their injuries too. So I, I don't think Detroit should apologize for anything. And when you're beating teams by 14 points or more and all these wins, that's saying something. Um Baltimore's doesn't scare me as far as like they, you know, Detroit's going in to play the 85 Bears or like the, you know, 76 Steelers or anything, but Baltimore in Baltimore historically and therefore into the team, like that's a game. That's a game. And yep. if you're the Lions, just like I said when they went to Tampa, playing a Bucks team, like if you're this number one in the power rankings and you're the heavy and they're go and kick their ass too. Let's see it. I do and I mean, Tampa, Tampa is a, it's at least somewhat of a statement win for me just because it, it got flexed and Tampa was just on top of their division. But to your point, Baltimore is different for me in the sense that the vast majority of that roster has been in these moments, you know, it's, it's second nature to the Ravens to be, to be in the playoffs, to yep. be in a Sunday night war type yep. of game against Cincinnati uh, and all due respect to the lions. This is why. I thought I was being a good person, putting them in the top five. They're not, they are not used to this level of but the spotlight. It, are you, are you basing that on who's playing the best football right now? Or are you doing what I do? Cause I don't have them number one either. And my thing was, I can't take the chiefs or the Eagles or the 49ers off the perch because of one loss, but maybe that's not fair. And maybe if you're looking at it with clear eyes, the lions have played better than them this season. And it's the dolphins and the lions are the two best teams in football whether you want to hear that or not, like that's why power rankings are so complicated. Is it power standings? Right. Is it power rankings? Or is it, are we taking five years of evidence and okay. And if they were to play right now, who would I pick? Like it's, it's so nebulous. This is my personal philosophy, but I would rather doubt the lions for too long than be the guy that like dropped Patrick Mahomes to like seventh in Fair. the power rankings. Like it Fair. ain't, it ain't going to happen. I'm not going to do it. You're right. And uh, that's, it's so funny too, because you look at these games and if if the 49ers third round kicker makes a chippy on Sunday, the Niners are the number one team. They're six and oh, no one's even questioning. But because he missed that field goal and they lost now, all of a sudden it's like, well, there's a new number one. And it's like, I'm not so sure. I still think I'll take the Niners over the Lions if they were to play on neutral field tomorrow. I'm with you. All right couple more things quickly and this is it's another team that's on a bye but give us a break there's six teams on a bye right now but you know it's funny I think we spent the first two or three weeks of the season agonizing about the New York Jets yes and uh and here we are at the bye with a three and three record and I don't know so often I feel like we're prisoners of the moment and you know, maybe beating the Eagles glosses over some very real issues that are still there, but I can't ignore the fact that this team has played competitive complimentary football now for three weeks. They didn't win all three games, but three weeks of enjoyable football is a nice little sample size. Yeah. And guess what? Their fans, they've played uh, three home games um, in the last few weeks. And it was this amazing win against the Eagles, this tough loss, uh, uh, to the Chiefs and then a heartbreaker against the Patriots and you've gotten the full range of emotion uh, how they're doing it and then as they beat the Eagles it's the number one rated game viewer wise the entire season and it wasn't even like we had you know the Olsen uh, Burkhart crew or it wasn't Nansen Romo it was like Mark Sanchez is on the call and it's a Jet game but everyone was captivated because of the storylines that the Jets can bring when they're actually competitive and I think they went from being this punchline to now this sympathetic figure everyone's kind of like alright that's a cool story they, they lost Rodgers and yet they continue to win with Zach Wilson who's not lighting it up but the defense was amazing and that defense uh, you know, I'm tight with Salah I talked to him right after the game and I'm like God what a performance by the defense he's like we had four cornerbacks dressing. Our top three corners did not dress. Um, Elijah Vera Tucker is our best offensive lineman. He wasn't out there. Rodgers wasn't out there. So not making excuses, but just like, what a cool story that this team Amazing. is just like, we just keep on rolling. And like, you know, the Kelsey brothers do their podcast and I just got a clip from it today. And I loved hearing Jason Kelsey. He's like, kudos to them. Like they made second half adjustments that were really tough on our offense and they outplayed us. The better team won. And that's so rare. You hear that when, you know, the Eagles are such a team that can come in and just wreck shop, but Jets hung with them. And now they get a bye. 
They have the Giants after that. It's a win to me. And that could make them four and three. And then after that, you got like Chargers, you got the Dolphins. Like, can the Jets hang around long enough? And then the big decision is if they are relevant come December and they are winning and say they're, oh, I don't know, they say they're eight and six and they're seven and eight, eight or seven. And Rogers says, I want to play. You got to go to Rogers. And it's one of those deals where it's like, or do you let Jack, Zach Wilson finish out the string? Cause he's, he's done with a pretty good job, you know? So they're hoping that that's a debate they have to have that a Rogers is healthy enough to get back out there and B they're still relevant where Rogers would want to come out there and still finish out the season. We do this. We do this every year. And I know why B I mean, you know, in the off season, we, we got all this time to talk about it and you, you look at everything through the prism of like best case scenario. And, and so as soon, you know, Rogers goes down four plays into the game and all due respect to him. I'll just, I'll believe he's going to play this year when I see it happen. I just, I, 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 it's too early to that injury for me to start daydreaming about it. But, you know, you sit there and you're like, what chance do the jets have? But here we are nearing the midpoint of the season. And like the chargers have underwhelmed shocker of shockers. Uh, the, the Bengals, I mean, they look like they're back on the right track, but nope. they're at 500, 500 uh, the Steelers were the darling team of August, but they, yes, particularly on offense. I just don't know about that. And sure enough, right there with the jets. Now you're sitting there thinking like, man, if CJ Stroud is going to play like this for 17 games, then maybe we need to be talking about Houston too. Like it's, you know, there, there Wide are open. a few, there, there are a few teams that are living up to the billing like Buffalo and Miami, but like, other than that. Yeah, I mean, at the very least, you can't count it out. I think we came into this season thinking there would be three heavies. The Bengals, the Bills, and the Chiefs. Bengals, jury's out. Chiefs haven't played great football, but they're 5-1. Bills, they're there. You know, they lost two bad ones. They lost to the Jets, and then they lost in London, which both of those are strange games. Dolphins have emerged. And then you've got just a sea of teams that you're like, all right, the next three or four weeks, we're going to find out. Like the Jaguars have very quietly won two in a row in London are now coming into a Thursday night game where I assume they're going to be in, in fine setting, you know, if Lawrence can play. And then, uh, you know, you go out to the West Coast teams, the Raiders very quietly have rattled off a couple wins. So it's like there are teams that are just hovering and hanging around. But what are the teams that are going to make the run last year? It was the Jaguars. They got hot. They won six straight to end the season. They won a playoff game. They're like, all right, let's roll. Uh, every year there's that hot team at the end. And it's almost like September. Let's figure out who we are. October, let's pad the sked, pad the wins a little bit. And then it's November, December. These are where the teams separate. I'll say this for the Jets. Uh, last thing on that is just like, and I, I remember talking to you about it. I was just like, oh my God, we're going to have to watch this team in prime yeah, time like throughout the year. And now I'm like, I cannot wait to see They're fun. what these guys can present for, you know, they, they've still got the bills again. They've got both dolphins games dolphins twice. I, I can't wait. They're going to tell you the one in the ass for everybody. I'll tell you the one that still pisses them off. The fact they lost to the Patriots at home really pisses them off because the Patriots sure. now are, are terrible. And it's like Patriots have won 15 straight against them. Like, if they had won that game, they're four and two right now in the bye week. And you're like, whoa, yeah. all right, but that's a bad loss. The Dak apologist in me also, I can't forgive Sala for insinuating that they embarrassed Dak. I just, that, that didn't happen, Robert. I, the, Hey, credit to you for everything else, but that did not happen. I know. All right. I want to get your thoughts. One last thing before I get you out of here. I just, I'm, I'm deeply amused by this, uh, this talk that flag football is not only going to be a, a sport at the 2028 Olympics, but from the sounds of it, like the NFL it sounds like they outright want their guys to be playing flag football, which like, I mean, to me, I, I know there's a lot of international players in the NFL, but also all over the world. But like, this just sounds like the ultimate dream team scenario for me. And it makes me wonder, do you have like a dream NFL flag football player? Maybe even a have, couple. I kind of have a hot take on this. Oh, so okay. Even better. Where do you, where'd you go to school? Where'd you go to college? I am an obnoxious LSU alum. There's nothing obnoxious about that. That's a state school. That's quite all right. If you said I'm an obnoxious Harvard or Princeton guy, I'd say, okay, that's different. You're an obnoxious LSU alum. LSU has one of the greatest football programs ever. I'm sure when you were there, it was, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm dating you, if it was Matt Mock or Chris Claiborne or whoever was out there. Okay. I, I was there with, uh, I was there with Honey Kevin Badger. Falk, and Honey Badger. Okay. So you're a Honey little Badger and there. Pat Pete. All yeah. Right, so you were there in a great era as well. And you had, you know, Jordan Jefferson was a quarterback. You had all these amazing players. Nice poll. Yet you go to the intramurals 
And flag football is a different sport, brother. It sure those, is. Those intramural teams, they run it like it's like it's a whole different ball game. And I'm not so sure our best bet is just throwing out NFL players. My best bet would be give me the best men's flag football team that's out there playing the club circuit. Because these guys, it is at a, it's a different sport. There's a different way to go about it. And if you play together for like 15 years, flag football, it's a different language. We, I went to a division three school and we would play in the fraternity league. And then like, there would be another team that was like not related to the fraternities and they would play and they would kick our ass. Cause they just had it. This is all they did. They'd play flag football. So if you were to ask me who I'd want on a flag football team, I'd probably take the Miami dolphins offense. I'd take, you know, <laughs> Mostert and I take Hill and I take Waddle and I take speed and I have Tua who's so precise, but there's a team out there probably in grand rapids, Iowa, or in, in, you know, uh, Lake Minnetonka, Minnesota, who plays every Saturday or every Sunday as a weekend warrior. And these guys probably are so dialed in that they could probably give the NFL guys a game. I, I think you could marry these philosophies. Cause I think you make a really great point. And one of my best friends was in a flag football circuit, like, you know, driving across the yes, country playing every real. weekend. Dude, it's, it's real. It's, it's not a joke, but what if, what if like the, what if the U S Olympic whatever they're, you know, the, the, why, why am I struggling with the word, the program that oversees all this USOC? Yes. What if, you know, as soon as our best NFL players retire, that's when we get them into the program and we're like, Hey, you want to win a gold medal? Okay. But tell me, do you want, do you want 42 year old Rob Gronkowski or do you want 22 year old guy who's been playing flag football for the last four years at a high level? I, I don't know if our best bet is Tony Gonzalez at this point, but like, well, okay. But NFL players retire at all different ages for like right. all different reasons, you know, like, right. um, I mean, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to end the guy's career prematurely, <laughs> but got? you know, well, I'm just, you know, if, if five years, five years is a long time now too. Like if five years from now, somebody like uh, Kyle Pitts is, not playing you know he's kicking around the league or he's he's on his second contract it's not going great he's closer to 30 it's like hey you want to go win a gold medal i i feel bad for saying kyle pitts because i'm sure he'll be in the league in 2028 but like but there's gonna be a guy like that or guys like that you know just hey Get get out here to like San Diego or wherever we want to train and we'll just let's coach go. you up, man. Colorado Springs. Let's put you right up there with the winter athletes and get the altitude down. Uh they the flag football thing, which you know, it's like it is precision, it is like quick, it is fast, it's a different sport. So I would just say, yes, we want the star power of the NFL. And if a retired player makes sense or an active player makes sense, great. I wouldn't count out the marketing executive who lives in St. Louis, Missouri and purposely works from home on Friday so he can drive 30 uh 30 states over to be at the flag football tournament on the weekend. Those guys are real. Those they gals are. are real. We spoke with on Good Morning Football. Uh I believe she's uh, the the captain of the US team and she's a school teacher full time. Like it's not like she's playing WNBA and then decides okay on the weekends I'm playing flag football. There, it's a different deal. It's a real You're sport, not wrong. flag football, and I think that uh, we might we might not be at our best if we just throw out there the big names and the NFL players. I, it's a good call by you to give them their due respect, but I think I I think I said Kyle Pitts because I'm just imagining <laughs> trying to stop uh, him in flag football. What do you do? What do you do with that? Yeah, what do you do with like a six six guy who runs a four four or something, and you don't have to worry about blocking or you. you know all that? And you just run off the line and kind of do the Randy Moss thing, man. Like I, I just it. sounds like a hell of a lot of fun. I can't wait to see where that goes over the next five years. Peter Schrager, awesome. Always and en- always enjoy it, man. I will. Uh, I'll talk to you next week. Like I said at the top of the show, some big, big headlines the last couple days heading into week seven. Unfortunately, a few really big ones related to injuries and injuries to the quarterback position. Let's start it off with Colts quarterback Anthony Richardson, the rookie, the number four overall pick, is officially undergoing season-ending surgery on his throwing shoulder. We said earlier this week that it was, quote, probably going to happen. It is a definite now. He will undergo surgery. He will be out for the rest of his rookie season. It's terrible news regardless of who it happens to, but it's especially cruel for Anthony Richardson, a guy who 
the line on him coming out of Florida, out of college, was a guy that just made 13 starts in his college career. Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, the other big-time prospects in this class were both multi-year starters at Alabama and Ohio State. They played in conference title games. They played in playoff games. Anthony Richardson, just a much less ex experienced prospect. He needs reps. He needs to be on the field playing football, and it's done now for his rookie season. He heads to injured reserve after just 173 snaps and only 84 pass attempts. So the Colts' hope for this year, more than any sort of win-loss record, was getting him on the field and getting him some seasoning, getting him used to the speed of the game, used to what he's going to see from defenses. It's a huge blow that his development stops after just a handful of games. Remember, he had missed a couple outings with injury before this shoulder problem. It does also, it unfortunately, in my opinion, changes the focus for the Colts now. With all due respect to Gardner Minshew, I'm sure the Colts are going to win more games. They're not a they're not a bad team. They're not they're not a hopeless roster. I'm not here saying that the Colts are going to tank or that they're going to get the number one overall pick. I suppose that's possible, but they've already won three games. I mean, that that already might put them out of contention for the number one overall pick. But my concern now for the Colts is just evaluating the rest of this roster independent of the quarterback situation. Gardner Minshew is a high-level backup, in my opinion, even with the bad outing against Jacksonville last week. He's a guy that can win you a few games. But we know what the future of the quarterback position is in Indy. We know Anthony Richardson should be there for the time being. Jim Ursay, the owner of the Colts, gave him a huge vote of confidence. It would be stunning to see Indianapolis draft another quarterback next year. Frankly, with what we've seen from Richardson just in the small sample size, I think that would be a little bit silly. But now it's time to evaluate the cast around him. Honestly, I came into this segment thinking I would be talking about getting Anthony Richardson some offensive line help, and that's never a bad idea for a young quarterback. But Colts offensive line, honestly, has been pretty solid this year. Pro Football Focus ranks them top 10 in pass blocking, top five in run blocking. They're middle of the pack in terms of sacks allowed. For as bad as they looked at times last year, it seems like they've really gotten their act together. Uh, maybe not the best offensive line in the league, but but certainly one that you can work with. So that's at least a step in the right direction. I think the I'm going to step out on a limb and say this will become a meme over the next couple of months. We're going to be seeing a lot of photoshops of Marvin Harrison Jr. And, and uh, you know, Malik neighbors, other big-time college football wide receivers photoshopped into Colts uniforms because when Anthony Richardson's available again, he's going to need some juice around him. You know Zach Moss and Jonathan Taylor being back. It's a nice running back duo. Michael Pittman Jr., the receiver, honestly off to a pretty nice start this season, but not a whole lot of other production to feel great about from the wide receiver position. So... Do the Colts finish high enough in the draft to get a Marvin Harrison Jr.? That's going to be the question now, in my opinion. They're currently sitting 15th in the draft order. It, it, that's, that's going to be entertaining to watch. Of course, front offices love to throw us curveballs all the time. But my focus now is, how does this offense play with Gardner Minshew? And what do they need to address when Anthony Richardson's ready to come back? It would be a hell of a lot of fun to have a Marvin Harrison Jr. Even if that's unrealistic, there are a lot of really, really fun receivers coming out in the draft this year. So Colts fans, maybe start watching some Ohio State, maybe start watching some LSU. Washington, the Huskies up in the Pacific Northwest have like five awesome receivers. Go watch some college football. Get, get, get familiar with some receiver names. All right, elsewhere, AFC North, Deshaun Watson, more quarterback news revealed. He can't put a timeline on his return from shoulder injury, which... The Browns actually play the Colts this week, so this could be a battle of backups if P.J. Walker has to play again. P.J. Walker obviously played well enough to beat San Francisco, so going to step out on a limb and say he would be the, the guy to go this week if that's not doable for Deshaun. It just it raises a question about how long this is this is going to be. There was not all that much worry about Deshaun Watson when he initially w missed with a shoulder the Browns had a bye week, so it seemed like good timing for your quarterback to be injured, but this would be his third absence in addition to that week off. So we don't have a timeline. We'll see what happens, but certainly Deshaun Watson's shoulder injury looking a little more severe than people initially thought. 
Two good bits of news on the injury front this week. Kyler Murray is back at practice. I don't know what my expectations were for Kyler, but I don't think I would have guessed that he'd be practicing before Halloween. He tore his ACL in December. It was it was late in the 2022 season when he went down. So to be back at practice in the first half of the season is awfully encouraging. Don't know when he'll play. Nobody's put a specific timetable on that, but when you come back to practice, when a team activates you from the injured reserve or the physically unable to perform list, it activates a 21-day window. So he's got three weeks to be evaluated where he doesn't have to actually be on the roster. So if we're just doing simple math, early November feels like a realistic time that he might be able to play. Maybe November 12th against Atlanta. Just, just spitballing. We don't know anything for sure. But again, I would never have guessed that we would be having this conversation early in the season. And when you consider how exciting the Cardinals have looked on offense without him, Drew Petzing, the OC in Arizona, doing a phenomenal job with what I wouldn't say is an overly talented group of players. The thought of adding Kyler Murray to that is very intriguing, even for a one and five team. Cool to hear for Kyler. Same thing down in Miami. Jalen Ramsey is back at practice. Dude tore his meniscus at in training camp. I remember how bummed out I was. You know, you had the the duo of Xavier Howard and Jalen Ramsey, we're going to, the defense is going to be just as good as the offense. We're going to put the league on notice. You hear the word torn meniscus and the best case scenario I'm thinking is like, okay, maybe Jalen Ramsey can get a handful of games under his belt before the playoffs start, but he's back at practice, man. Again, no idea specifically when he might play, but Dolphins head coach Mike McDaniel said, it's fair to say there's a chance that Ramsey can play before the bye week. Well, it's week seven now. The Dolphins' bye week is in week 10. So that gives us a three-week window. Jalen Ramsey could be playing sometime in the next three weeks after tearing his meniscus in August. That is an incredible story. Good on you, Jalen, for clearly being dedicated to the rehab process. Very exciting for the Dolphins. I thought We talked about this with Henry McKenna earlier this week. We know what the Dolphins' offense can do. The Dolphins' defense looks like it's getting much much healthier it's scary to think that a team that's 5 and 1 and scoring 37 points a game hasn't reached its ceiling yet but if Jalen Ramsey's coming back in October or maybe early November yeah that's really fun couple big additions that really just happened within the last 24 hours the Philadelphia Eagles have announced their signing Julio Jones it's a huge huge name it's a future hall of famer but Let's temper those expectations. I just, I, I know, I don't think, I know the current iteration of Julio Jones is not the guy uh, that was just a perennial pro bowler and one of the best wide receivers I've ever seen for the Falcons. In the two years since he left Atlanta, 55 combined catches for 733 yards with the Tennessee Titans and the Tampa Bay Bucks. He only played 10 games for Tampa last year. Durability has been a concern with him late in his career. But the good news is, Nobody's asking a whole lot of Julio Jones. The Eagles happen to have the best receiver duo in the league, A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. Receivers other than those two on the Eagles, so outside of, of A.J. and Devontae, other Eagles receivers have added up for eight catches on the year. That's just not what the Eagles do. They target their dogs. They target A.J. and Devontae, and maybe Dallas Goddard gets in where he fits in, but... The Eagles don't overcomplicate this. Julio Jones isn't going to have to do a whole lot. If somebody gets hurt, maybe he can give you a handful of productive games. And he's a great locker room guy. He's one of the best to ever do it. He's been to a Super Bowl. Doesn't have to be a volume guy. Cool locker room presence. Maybe a guy that can step up a handful of times a year. We're not expecting Hall of Fame Julio, but the Eagles don't need that guy anyway. I like the addition a lot. Kansas City Chiefs apparently are getting the band back together. Took about six weeks of up and down results, and they said, bring us back Nicole Hardman, the, 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 the speed guy, the gadget guy on their offense for the last four years. He went to New York Jets, and six weeks later, the Chiefs said, no, we would like him back. They do a late round pick swap. They trade the Jets for McColl. I just think it's really funny that they, they gave it a go with what they had, and, and they were like, no, we, we need that guy. And, and no offense to Nicole, but he was never the, the volume guy 
in that Kansas City offense. He's only had 50-plus catches once in his career. Again, when you're talking about Tyreek and Kelsey and last year having Juju Smith-Schuster, it was never a need for him to get a lot of targets. He just he would do his fast guy thing, his gadget guy thing, maybe the occasional deep shot. But hey, he knows the offense. He knows Patrick Mahomes. He knows the organization. I, I get it. Based on what we've seen from the Chiefs receivers over the first six weeks of the season, maybe Patrick Mahomes just needs somebody he's on the same page with. So whatever. Swap some late round picks and, and let's get a guy back in here that knows how to win a Super Bowl. Sounds like they might be doing the same thing on defense. Frank Clark, not officially a Kansas City Chief, but he is coming into Kansas City, a guy that's got history there. He he played for the Chiefs for multiple years. He was an instrumental part of that pass rush. Just released by Denver. Some things are just easy to see. As soon as Frank Clark got released, people said, ah, I bet his plane will touch down in Kansas City pretty quickly. Sure enough, that's what's happening. Chiefs defense, quietly very, very good. We talked about that last week. But outside of Chris Jones and George Karloftis, they don't have anybody that reliably pressures the quarterback. Well, Frank Clark can do that, and I'm not going to be surprised if he is officially a chief by the time the games kick off on Sunday. That does it for the headlines. Let's get into some Thursday night football. The Jacksonville Jaguars heading down to the Big Easy, looking for a big, easy win against the New Orleans Saints. That was really corny. I'm not sorry about it. This is totally self-serving. This is an exciting matchup for me as somebody who grew up a Saints fan. The Jags haven't beaten the Saints since 2003, which obviously they don't play a whole lot. They're cross-conference teams. But the last time the Jags beat the Saints was 2003, which was a game that became known as the River City Relay. If you've never seen it, please go YouTube it. Saints put together a four-lateral Hail Mary on the last play of the game, a a must-win game for the Saints' playoff hopes. They lateral it all the way downfield. They score a touchdown to make it 2019 Jags. All they got to do is kick the extra point to get to overtime, and they shank the extra point. It's one of the... I can laugh about it now because 20 years later, I've, I've moved on in so many different ways, but a really formative moment in my life and one of the funniest endings in NFL history. So brings back a lot of memories for me. Let's get in to the matchup itself. Obviously the big headline, Trevor Lawrence bangs up his knee on Sunday against Indianapolis. There's always going to be uncertainty in gamesmanship with a quarterback injury. Why wouldn't there be Trevor's listed as questionable for this game? I'm going to step out on a limb and say that the young guy is going to play with with a chance to have a weekend off. You you get 10, 10 days off after a Thursday night game. I'm going to step out on a limb and say that he plays. I think the Jags need him to play because, look, they're 4-2. and two. They seem like they're getting right, but this, this Jacksonville offense, just not an overly pretty watch to this point in the league. They're 10th in scoring and 13th in overall yardage, but a god-awful 24th in the league in third-down conversion rate. They're not quite as bad in the red zone, but they're certainly not great. It, it doesn't seem like Trevor has been on the same page with Calvin Ridley, Evan Ingram. It doesn't seem like the play calling has has been as consistent as you would prefer for most of this season. If he's healthy enough to go, I think it it benefits him to get the reps. I think the offense hasn't been as clean as and as crisp as you would prefer with the starter. So why would you want to risk it with the backup, assuming Trevor is is healthy enough to give it a go, which I think ultimately he will be. Lawrence hasn't been bad this season, but I do think, you know, I, I, I I'm not ready to say that he has like ascended to that next level. I mean, he's he's as impressive as it gets, like throwing in the tight windows and throwing the occasional deep ball. But in terms of consistency, like I said, it just hasn't been that impressive this year. Nine turnover-worthy plays this season. I think that is... It's 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 not alarmingly high, but it's a number that I'm looking at going against a Saints team with a really nice back seven. Jacksonville's offensive line, not amazing, but with Cam Robinson coming back, hopefully that can stabilize. And again, I think these guys probably need to get reps together. Fortunately... I'm not going to go as far as to say I don't think the Jags need their offense to win, but the Jacksonville defense, 
a much bigger strength than I think a lot of people were giving them credit for coming into the season. They lead the league in takeaways with 15. They're one of only three teams in the NFL that are in the teens, along with Buffalo and the New York Jets. So taking it away at a very fun rate. They got three sacks, three interceptions, and a forced fumble against Indy last week. If you've watched the Saints, you should know why that's a big deal. We can get into that. But yeah, they're fantastic against the run. Saints running game hasn't been anything to get excited about. I absolutely think the Jags defense can hold its own in the screw hold its own. This Jags defense has the potential to dominate this matchup. Josh Allen, not the quarterback, the edge rusher, picking a hell of a time to have the best year of his career. He's already at seven sacks for the season. His career high is 10 and a half. <laughs> I mean, with what the Saints are trotting out on the offensive line, and again, I'll get to that in a minute, but he's got a chance to make some serious hay uh, on, in, on any contract negotiations he wants to have. 23 pressures this season, according to Pro Football Focus. The safety duo of Darius Williams and Andre Sisco playing phenomenally, three interceptions each. And oh yeah, we can't forget Foyasade Aluakon, who is quietly one of the best tacklers in the NFL. This He's working on leading the league in tackles for a third straight season. I don't think the average NFL fan even knows who he is, but a tackling machine in the middle of that Jacksonville defense. Now let's flip over to what I was just talking about. For starters... I think the number one thing to know about the Saints, left tackle James Hurst and right tackle Ryan Ramchek have officially been ruled out for this game. The Saints offensive line was already a problem. It's been a problem all season, and they're now playing without their tackles. We've seen some examples of teams really rising to the occasion with injuries on the offensive line. The Houston Texans come to mind, but I don't, I don't like where this is going for the Saints at all. And outside of Josh Allen, the Jags pass rush honestly hasn't even been amazing but that just speaks to the problems on the Saints offense and with their offensive line. I think you can sum up the Saints this way. They're the sixth best scoring defense in the NFL. They're giving up 16 points a game. They're only three and three because they're one of the worst scoring offenses in the NFL, 18 points a game. The Saints have held five of their six opponents to 20 points or less. But the New Orleans offense has also scored more than 20 points just once this year. They beat the Patriots 34 to nothing a couple weeks ago. Congratulations. It's been a struggle even getting to 17 for most of the rest of the season. They've scored eight touchdowns in six games. Three of those came in that beatdown against the Patriots. They've only scored multiple touchdowns in two of their six games. Go look at, at the Saints season. You'll see a lot of 16, 17, 18, 20, 13 last week. Not to let Derek Carr off the hook. I, I don't think Derek Carr has been amazing. I know Saints fans are furious at Pete Carmichael. He might, he might not be embattled to the degree of Pittsburgh offensive coordinator Matt Canada, but I think it's getting there. You saw there's some cell phone video, sideline video of, of Carr and Carmichael yelling at each other on the sideline against Houston last week. Saints offense just looks discombobulated. Looks like receivers are running routes to the same place. Derek Carr is on a different page than his receivers are. A lot of ugly incompletions, particularly in that loss to the Texans. Their defense is going to give them a shot. Much like, you know, I was talking about this with Peter earlier, much like Cincinnati, I just think the Saints are sound everywhere. I mean, Cameron Jordan, Tyron Matthew, and Marshawn Lattimore are definitely big names but the Saints are getting good seasons from guys like Jordan Howden, Isaac Yidham, Alante Taylor in the back end. They've just got a, a nice defensive front that works really well together. Did I mention Demario Davis? I apologize if I didn't. One of the best linebackers in football. I have a feeling this will be another first to 20 or 21 points wins the game. Jacksonville's offense hasn't been phenomenal even when Trevor is healthy, and the Saints are the Saints. I don't think they're going to fix their issues this week, particularly if they can't get the running game going against Jacksonville. I, I, I've got no problem picking uh, a 20 to 16 game. Give me the Jags to win it. I just, I like more about their vibes. I like their quarterback more. I, 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 I weep for Derek Carr. That's, that's I, what I meant to say is not to let Derek Carr off the hook, but I don't know how many quarterbacks 
could really put a good game together with the offensive line play, offensive line play that the Saints have had so far this season. There are some. C.J. Stroud did it. So look, Saints fans, I'm not trying to let Derek Carr off the hook, but the offense is a mess. I don't trust it to get right on a short week. Yes, the Saints are at home. The Dome might be rocking, but give me the Jags to get the win against the New Orleans Saints. Hopefully, it's an entertaining game, even if the scoreline doesn't really suggest that it will be. For that game or any game kicks off, let's wrap the show up with the survivor pick. I can't believe I haven't had to fake this thing yet. We are to week seven, and I am still alive in my own survivor pool. But I got to tell you, I officially think I'm in hell. Uh, there, there's six, there's six teams on buys. I've already picked a few heavyweights. I'm not really feeling good about my options here. Let's go through my picks so far this season. I've taken Baltimore, the New York giants, the Seattle Seahawks, the 49ers, the lions and the dolphins. Now, particularly distressing here is that I've already taken Seattle. They go against Arizona this week. And I've also taken San Francisco. They go against Minnesota. Buffalo looking like a, a a nice choice. In fact, that would probably be my recommendation to you. If Buffalo is available to you, don't, I keep saying it, don't overthink it. Take them against New England. But here's the thing. I am going to overthink it. I don't want to use Buffalo so early in the season. I'm not going to touch the Kansas City Chiefs playing a division game against the Chargers, not with the way they've played. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get cute with it. Right here in Los Angeles, the LA Rams are hosting the Pittsburgh Steelers. I like the Rams' offense. I love the way Matthew Stafford's playing this season. I the, the offensive line is protecting him. They've got Cooper Cup and Puka Nakua. They're scoring points against damn near everybody they play. I hate the Pittsburgh Steelers' offense. I think they're awful by any metric you want to use. I don't think I trust that the bye week is going to sort that out. I think Aaron Donald can make life difficult on them. The Rams are a three-point favorite. So this is getting too cute. This is probably overthinking it, but I'm never going to shut up about it if I'm right. I like the Rams in this game. I, I, I think they can do it. And if that happens, then I get to keep Buffalo, Kansas City available to me. Dallas eventually has to have a more easy matchup on the lineup. They're off this week anyway. Don't worry about it. But if I can pull this off, I get to keep some really, really good teams in my back pocket. And yeah, I just don't think I trust the Steelers that much. So lock me in with the LA Rams. I'm getting real cute with it. I've been picking heavyweights for the last two or three weeks, but fortune favors the bold. Hopefully I don't have to get on here next week and eat some crow. That does it for the show. We'll see how it goes. We have got a busy, busy Friday episode. We're going to be chock full of game previews. We got a lot of stuff coming your way. Week seven is officially in swing. I appreciate it, y'all. Please go follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Tell your delivery driver, your mailman, your barber that you found the coolest podcast with the nicest, most informative host who definitely doesn't talk too much. I will see y'all for the week seven preview. I appreciate it.